So we are in Luke chapter 24. To refresh your memory, since I feel as though I've been away for months, even though it was only last week that I was here, I'm working through the Great Commission texts in preparation for eventually when we'll start Penny Crusade. I want us to be primed. I want us to be passionate. And I want us to be giving out of the right motivation. So we're working through the texts in the Bible in which Jesus commissions us and tells us to go to the nations. And right now we're in Luke. We were in Luke last week as well. We talked about repentance and forgiveness, what repentance means, turning from the flow of life, turning back toward God. And I told you that this week we're going to talk about the proclaim it to all the nations part of the passage. So that's what we're tackling today. Now, I don't know what comes to mind to you when you hear the words evangelism and missions. I think we all might have different associations to these words. But I'll tell you my association with them and my experience. Uh, When I was maybe 15 or 16, probably around 1998, I was part of a youth group. I was one of the older members of the youth group at that time. And I was starting to to get it. I was starting to get a taste for God's word. And I I was growing. And my youth minister recognized this. So he approached me and one other individual from our youth group. And said, I want to take you guys to the next level in terms of evangelism. And so, I don't know what that means. You know, I want to please my youth minister. And I, I like this Christian thing. Seems like reasonable next step. So I say, okay. And he has us meet him at his house. Um, so I don't really remember. Maybe a week or two later. And he gives us a book. It's a, a spiral bound book. It's a notebook. A workbook. It's an evangelism program, training workbook. And we start to work through this workbook. And it's, and it's training you about the gospel. And it's taking you through steps to salvation. And it's teaching you certain things to memorize. And it's telling you certain methods to convey this outline. A memorized outline. So we were getting more and more pumped as we were studying. You know, I mean, it, it's hard... For an individual to understand the gospel clearly for themselves is really hard to convey it to someone else. So I felt like with this training in hand, let's do it. I was excited about it. Did the whole course, me and this other individual. After the course, Sunday morning, they brought us up to the front of the congregation and he, he presented us that we were now certified in this evangelism training program. It was a very exciting moment for everybody. You know, I was a young guy. The congregation loves to see young guys do these sorts of things. And I was excited. And so that was the, that was the climax of everything. Everything went hurtling downhill quick after this. Because then it was time to go out. It was time to go out. And his idea of evangelism was old school door-to-door evangelism. So he took me and this other individual out with him. And we went. And I loved my old youth minister to death. His name was Jimmy. And he was just a very lovable, laughy, didn't really take anything too seriously kind of guy. And since he didn't take things terribly seriously, he didn't really prepare us all that much for this first endeavor out to knock on doors and tell people about Jesus. Aside from the training manual, we were just in the car. We didn't know where we were going or who these people were going to be. And the reality starting to sink in for me. And I can remember the reality starting to sink in. Like this is all well and good within my church bubble. To talk about Jesus. And I can remember the points of it. If I can concentrate 
clearly. We were to kind of present it to the church and remember the points that we memorized. And I could remember it concentrating clearly with people I was comfortable with. But the reality was settling in. I was about to be knocking on the door of a stranger and presenting the gospel. And so we went, me and the other individual and my pastor, youth pastor, and he knocks on the door, knock, knock, knock. And I know that I'm up first. The other individual was a girl, and I guess that whole ladies first thing flies out the window when it comes to excruciatingly uncomfortable stuff like this. And so I'm sitting there. It was during the summer, so it's hot anyway, and I'm sweating, and it's, I'm trying to think through the points. There's five of them. What are they? And honestly, now, I don't remember the points. But I was trying to remember these points. What were they? They worked off your hand, I think. I was trying to remember these points. Nobody came to the door. We waited. Seems like an eternity when you're waiting for something like this. Knock, knock, knock. Gosh, I was just like, your heart's pounding. You guys know the feeling I'm talking about. Heart's pounding. I have no clue what I'm going to say. I'm envisioning what this is going to be like. Knock again. Nobody comes. They're not home. I've never praised God so much <laughs> to not have to communicate the gospel to somebody. I got back in the car. I was so relieved. And I thought, well, maybe that was my chance. Maybe that was my turn. And the next house is going to be her turn. But no, he was going to keep it my turn until I went. Until I talked to somebody. So we go to another house. And we walk up. And by now, I'm running all the scenarios. I'm thinking, there's, there's about three ways this can play out. There's, they can come to the door. And I can start my spiel. And I could get just a few points in. And they can say, forget it. I, am, I do not want to hear about Jesus. Leave. That's one scenario. Another scenario, I start through my spiel. And I'm just eloquent and clever and witty. And I remember my points. Bam, 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 bam. And each one is just like a slap to his heart. And he just falls to his knees and is like, yes, this is what I need. What do I do now? I don't know. I don't know which of those two was more terrifying to me. But there was a third scenario I was playing out. Maybe I felt like the odds of them not being home, two houses in a row, were slim. So the third scenario, I thought, well, maybe as soon as they see a clean-cut group of people, they'll know that we are proselytizing, that we're either Christians or Mormons or Jehovah's Witnesses, and they'll just slam the door in our face right away. That was the best option. Because that way, I got the credit. I went. I was going to do it. But they didn't have ears for it. My conscience would be clear. I wouldn't have to do this thing. This outline. This horrific outline. So we went to the second house. Knock, knock, knock. Wait. Just, I'm just... Almost like I am many times before I get up here. I'm just like... Just cold. Don't even know what I'm going to say. Knock, knock, knock. Nobody comes. They weren't home either. Nobody was... I never had to do it. Nobody ever came to their door. And I never went back out after that. I never did. I never went door to door evangelizing after that. I don't remember the points. I came up with excuses not to go anymore. I think the girl may have. I never had to do it. And I was so relieved. That kind of encompasses my foundational understanding of evangelism. And it was founded on what I now believe are two misconceptions about evangelism and ministry. First, that these tasks are reserved for elite Christians, certified in training program Christians. 
And two, that it's dependent on my skill and my ability. I thought when that door opened that if I could remember my points and if I could convey them with the right look of concern in my face and it not seem as though I'm just memorizing this, then salvation for them and glory for me. But if when the door swings open, I can't remember my points, I stumble through it, it makes no sense. Damnation for them, humiliation for me. That's pretty much the mindset I had. Can you guess how many times I shared the gospel with this mindset? Zero. I never told anybody about Jesus. It was hard for me even to, to talk to my fellow Christians about Jesus. Let me read this passage to you again. Jesus talking to his disciples. Now he said to them, These are my words which I spoke to you while I was still with you. That all things which are written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Then he opened their minds to understand the scripture. He's telling them that all the Old Testament is all about me. And he has to, the, literally the word there is untangle, like, like a lot of Christmas lights. He has to untangle their mind to get them to see that it was always about him. And he said to them, thus it is written that the Christ would suffer and rise again from the dead the third day. It was written that I was going to die and rise again. And that repentance for forgiveness of sins would be proclaimed in his name to all nations, beginning from Jerusalem. There's a message, and it will be proclaimed. You are the witnesses, you are witnesses of these things, and behold, I'm sending forth the promise of my Father upon you. But you are to stay in the city until you are clothed with power from on high. The message of repentance and forgiveness will be proclaimed. The word says it will. It's going to be proclaimed. Who will do it? Jesus' followers. That's who he's talking to, his disciples. Just means his followers. They're the ones charged with this mission. Proclaim the message. Now, I'm tempted to think, well, maybe he was just talking to those guys. Maybe he just meant his actions, his disciples. Maybe it was their job. Our job is just to keep it, sort of keep each other up in it, you know. My job is just to sort of remind you of it. Maybe the mission of proclaiming repentance and forgiveness to all nations, maybe that was for them. Flip with me, if you will, if you have your Bibles with you, to Matthew chapter 24. We're going to flip around a bit today. So get your finger, your your fingles, your fingers. Minnesotans call these fingles. I got confused. Sorry. Your fingers nimble and ready because we're going to flip around. Matthew twenty four verse fourteen. Matthew twenty four verse fourteen. Jesus is speaking again, and he says, "This gospel of the kingdom shall be preached in the whole world as a testimony to all the nations, and then." The end will come. You ever wonder what we're still doing here after he saves us? You know, why not just go ahead? We have a mission. It's a mission passed down from generations of believers to proclaim the message of the gospel to all nations. Well, we're still here, right? Christ hasn't returned yet, right? I didn't miss it, did I? No, we're still here. This passage clearly teaches that once this mission is complete, he'll return. 
The Bible says that God does not want anyone to perish. He wants the word to be able to spread out. He hasn't returned yet because he is mercifully patient with us. So the mission is not yet complete. Those disciples are long gone. It's up to us now. That passage in Romans 10, we won't flip there since we're going to flip to so many others, but I don't have it memorized word perfect, but it says something to the effect of how are these people going to hear if no one goes? And how is anybody going to go if no one sends them? Well, this morning, we're hearing, and God is sending us this morning. Flip over to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Second Corinthians chapter 5, verse 20. It says, Therefore, we believers are ambassadors for Christ. As though God were making an appeal through us. And we beg you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. We as believers are ambassadors for Christ. That's our job description. Becoming a believer in this sense is like being hired. You're hired. Ambassador for Christ. This is your job description now. As soon as we receive the gift of salvation and reconciliation to God, we become ambassadors of that gift of salvation. We're not to just cling to it ourselves in our, in our cozy church building. We're here now. We have the most precious gift imaginable. And we're to represent Christ and give this gift out. That's our job description. You. This is your job description. And me. This is my job description. So what does this mean? This is your job description if you call yourself a Christian. Let the apprehension sink in. Because I suspect that I'm not that much different from you guys. And that there are many of us who've had experiences like mine and who, when asked the question, how many people have you represented Christ to? The answer may be zero. God is speaking through his word to me this morning and to you this morning. We have a Costco membership. Costco is a great place to go. I, don't, I hate to shop. I don't like to shop. I don't like to be in places where shopping is happening around me. Even if I'm not participating in the shopping, it's exhausting for me. I just get exhausted. I'm like a little kid. When I go in there, oh, I hate this. But I like going to Costco. How many in here go to Costco? Okay, we got a couple of folks, Costco people. Costco, if you're not familiar with Costco, it's huge. Huge warehouse. Like you buy giant cans of pickles, huge quantity of stuff, huge place. And I go there with Meredith and the kids, and I enjoy it, because Costco has something that not many other places have. They have several people giving out free samples of food. (laughs) Several. Like, sometimes you'll see at Harris Teeter, they have a little plastic thing with cheese that looks like it's been there for quite a while. These people have, they're equipped with microwaves, so they have freshly microwaved food. They'll have just like a bowl of, of beef sitting there. You just go by and, and get a toothpick and grab it like a big hunk of beef. 
I mean, this is really good. I recommend to go by there. And they have, the other day we went by there, and the best thing I've ever had, I saw the box. There was a lot of people swarming around this one particular sampler. And I saw the box, and it was something like, I'm going to pronounce the name wrong, the chocolate Ghirardelli or something like that. I'm just going to say Ghirardelli. You can laugh at me if I'm wrong. But these Ghirardelli triple chocolate brownies. And she was pulling them out of her little oven. She had a little oven. And they had just come out. And it was like people were just knocking each other out of the way to get to these. And I got one. And I made a mess of myself because you're, you're walking around and you don't have the sanitary equipment you usually have at a table. So I'm like a child again with chocolate on my face. But it was so good. I love going to Costco because of this. Now why am I telling you all this? Not because I want you to know my addiction to samples of beef in grocery stores. Those people, I talked to one one time and I said, Are, I'm curious. Does Costco hire you or does the person, or whoever the company makes this food hire you? And they say, oh no, we don't work for Costco. We're paid by whoever. Tyson's, they'll have chicken nuggets there. Elias and I go crazy. So Tyson's pays these individuals to represent them in Costco and to hand out samples of their stuff so people can experience it. And that's where we are. We're in the Costco of life here and we have samples of the best thing in the world. And so many of us are just kind of sitting in a corner somewhere with our bowl of beef and just eating it. We have a job to do. Our job is to represent Jesus Christ in the world. And it's time for a performance review. How well did you represent Jesus Christ last week? Was he coming down the aisles of your life wondering, where, where's my guy? There's people just swarming by him in life and he's not, he's not representing me. Who did you connect to the truth of Jesus Christ this last week? <clears throat> Are you a good ambassador or should you be fired? And I thank God that he is merciful And I thank God that he is patient with incompetent and lazy ambassadors such as myself. I am not up here preaching from a judgmental, I am the Mac Daddy evangelist position. God's word as I studied for this sermon was extremely convicting to me. And I thank God that he is so patient and so merciful. With incompetent and lazy ambassadors such as me. And he's calling out to us. He's walking the aisles of our life. And he's saying, where are you? Get to work. Turn with me to Matthew 9, chapter 37. Matthew 9... Verse 37. I think I said chapter 37. This is a short verse. Matthew 9, 37. He said to his disciples, The harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. The harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. There's people everywhere that need somebody to connect them to the truth of Jesus Christ. But the workers are few. Now you're saying, okay, okay, I get it. All right, I'm supposed to be out there doing something. 
But how? I mean, and who? Well, let's tackle who first. Back in Luke, trying to wear your Bibles out. Back in Luke, chapter 24, our, our primary passage. Who are we charged to connect to the truth of Jesus Christ, to, to proclaim the message to? It says that repentance and forgiveness of sins would be proclaimed in Jesus' name to all the nations. To all the nations. Beginning from Jerusalem. So this is our job description. We are to be ambassadors for Christ. Those of us who have received His saving work in our lives are now hired to represent this to other people. And who are we to represent it to? All the nations. Boy, does that sound like an overwhelming task. All the nations? I bet a lot of us in here have never even been to another nation. All the nations. When I think of nations, I think of the foreign mission field. I think of the people who have given their lives, left their families in the states, left their jobs, radically moved their family, planted them in another nation. That's what this makes me think of. And so usually as I've seen this, I just dismiss it. I'm like, nation? I, I mean, I live in Midland. I have no connection to the nations. I'll leave this to the missionaries, to the elite Christians, to the ones who've done the manual, the training manual. I studied this word, or this, it's a couple of Greek words that is translated all the nations in our Bibles. And you track that word through the New Testament. And you track that word through the Greek translation of the Old Testament, which shows how they use this word. And it means something, something much larger than just all the nations. It's not just nationalities as we flag them on our maps. It means much, something much larger than all that. We think of India and China and you know, foreign places. It does refer to the nations. It also refers to language groups. It refers to nations and language groups and cultures. And subcultures, and cities, and towns, and neighborhoods, and households, and cliques at school, and groups associated with each other by hobby, and workplaces. The word, as you really delve into it, most closely resembles people groups. People groups, groupings of people. I had my youth this morning try to picture what heaven would look like. And I told them that my, you know, just immediately when I think heaven, the image is just like, just white, wispy clouds and peace. But heaven is going to be a gathering of people from all over the world. Of all different nationalities, of all different languages, of all different cultures, of all different subcultures, of all different interests, of all different occupations, who all... Through Jesus, found God worthy of their lives. He's not just a God, like I told them, for the Caucasian tie-wearing white guys. He's a God that's worthy of worship from everybody. The call to us is to spread this word out. Get it out to all the people groups. I can't just stick with my little circle of people just like me and be fulfilling my job responsibility. 
This sample is tasty to every kind of person that's out there. And God wants every kind of people group and culture and language and subculture to have a chance. So what do I mean? Well, there's people who need to hear the gospel and be connected to the truth of Jesus in Africa. There are people who need to hear the gospel in Charlotte. There are people who need to hear the gospel in India. And there are people who need to hear the gospel on your street. There are people who need to hear the gospel in South America. And there are people who need to hear the gospel in your home. There are people who need to hear the gospel in Jamaica. And there are people who need to hear the gospel in your barbershop or your salon. There's people who need to hear the gospel in Iraq. And there are people who need to hear the gospel in the restaurant that you frequent. There are pockets of people all over who just haven't heard it. And how are they going to hear it if nobody tells them? That's us. So that's the who question. What about the how question? Look at verse 49. Jesus says, And behold, I am sending forth the promise of my Father upon you. But you are to stay in the city until you are clothed with power from on high. He's promising that you've got a job to do. But don't go out there until you are clothed with power from on high. I think he's talking about the Holy Spirit here. We have promises in the Bible. And the Holy Spirit will help us in this. He'll give you words to say. He'll give you eyes to see the opportunities. I used to work at a bank, a state employees credit union, in a small town near Raleigh. It's called Rollsville. It's a small town. You may have heard of Rollsville? Hey, okay. It's a tiny little town. So I worked there. It was such a small town, we had hardly any business. And so the tellers at that bank, if we had no clients... They were fine with us just sort of hanging out. So we just sat and talked all day long. As I talked, being a bank teller is primarily a female occupation. I was the only guy in the whole branch. So I'm talking to a different people group, basically, than anything I'm comfortable with. But as we talked, I got to know these women more. And they had, some of them were church-going women. Some of them were not. Some of them wanted to be, but their husbands were not interested And as I got to know them better, I came to realize that I don't think any of these three women really understand the gospel. And so these, you know, I was in Bible college at this time. So I'm hearing this stuff a lot. I'm remembering back to my my evangelism program days and how that crashed and burned. And I'm feeling convicted. I should. I'm here. I'm a Christian. I have what they're longing for. Women at a bank branch. It all airs out. All the problems, all the anxieties. Every sometimes disgusting detail. And I heard all this and I know, you know, what they're needing is Jesus. And I'm sitting here, you know, doing my schoolwork, doing my, my Bible college schoolwork and not telling them about it. And... I hope you guys understand how humbling this is for me. This is not something I've mastered. I'm not that much better off than I was back then. 
I'm sitting there with them and I have that same heart pounding sensation I did at the doorstep. I've got to just somehow work this into conversation. But I don't want to look like a freak. And they're talking and they're in their group over here and I'm here and I just, Jesus! <laughs> and just look like a freak. I don't want to do that. And so I started praying about it. I actually had a little journal in my car. I'd get there sometimes just a couple minutes before I had to be in there. And I, I back then, would pray best in writing because I couldn't focus my mind enough to pray unless I was writing it. Now I would just pray short little prayers. I still have these journals, short little sloppy prayers. Lord, I'm going in there. I want to be obedient to your call. Help me. Just little help me sort of prayers. Help me to, to think of what to say and not to be artificial and scary about it. You don't want to be a scary Christian who's like that guy, Jesus. Just like Jesus, just spitting it at him without any love behind it. It helped me to see the opportunities to work it into conversation. And an amazing thing happened. I mean, for me, a truly amazing thing happened. He answered my prayer. I'll be sitting there in conversation. You know how conversations are like evolving things. And it would evolve to where it was totally natural and totally comfortable for me to interject something. It wasn't necessarily Jesus. But to interject something that would clarify some aspect of the gospel. Now this was a while back. I can't remember specific conversations now. But it was amazing. He actually answered my prayer. He, he actually showed me opportunities. And he actually gave me words to say. They weren't skillful, wonderful, I'm certified in this type of words. Sometimes I didn't feel like they made sense. But he helped me. And by the time I left there... He impressed on me. We've gotten fairly close. Through all these prayers, he gave me a love for them. More than just a feeling of, I've got to convert them. He gave me a love for them. And he impressed on me as I left to give them little, little gifts to, to kind of remember things by. I wanted them to remember that there was a guy one day that loved them. And that the love he had for them was mainly because of Jesus. And so one of them I knew didn't have a Bible because we talked about it. I gave her a Bible. I wrote something in there. Another one had a Bible because she was churchy. But I gave her a little devotion book that I thought I had found helpful. I wrote a little note in there. And I found out later that each of them, when they opened these gifts, were just in tears. And that's not because I, there was anything super duper about me. They were getting connected to the truth of Jesus. By the grace of God, through an idiot little skinny Bible school guy who was scared to death. And I cling to that now. And you say, well, I'm not a preacher. You know, you're standing up there with a mic and a tie. Basically, you're thinking, you're certified. You went to seminary. I picture God's sign as he's trying to get his employees going, saying, no seminary, no training, no problem. It's simple. And the first step is understanding the gospel for yourself. And if you can understand it for yourself... You can, you can explain it to somebody else. You don't need training in seminary. But you can't do it until it's real for you. So the first question you have to ask yourself, does the gospel even mean anything to me? Do I, do I understand it well enough to even be a Christian? Or do I, have I just done the church thing so long that I think I have it, but I actually don't even know what the gospel is? That's your first step. 
And then beyond that, God just does not need professionals. He needs obedient servants who are willing to obey him and, and willing to say, God, I, I cannot speak any kind of words that are going to be magical and lead to the salvation of this person. Help me. He doesn't need professionals. I think we have an idea that the church is like a dishwasher. Follow me on this. When I was growing up, we didn't have a dishwasher. My brother and I washed all the dishes. And our friends started to get dishwashers. And we'd be like, Dad, why can't we not get a dishwasher? And he it still says the same joke because they still don't have a dishwasher. It says, what are you talking about? I have two dishwashers. <laughs> talking about me and my brother. Why would I buy a dishwasher? I have two. Now I have a dishwasher. I just load all my dirty dishes in there, push the racks in, close up, push the button. I'm done. Now I think we think church is like that. I'll, if I could just invite them to church. If I could just fill the pews with my dirty friends and then push the mat button, I'm done. But that's not what God means to happen. You know, that was a program that I was studying that I told you about at the beginning, an evangelistic program. But what I've learned is we don't need programs. You are the program. He always intended for us to be the program, for us to just be full of the gospel and so filled with joy by it that it spills out and we connect people to Jesus. You might think, well, I'm not a communicator. Well, yes, you are. We're all communicating something all the time. Even right now, you're not speaking, but you're communicating. You're communicating to me and the person beside you. You're communicating, I'm tired of this and I'm hungry. (laughs) Or you're communicating, he makes sense or something. We're all communicating all the time. What are you communicating when you remain silent, when your friend is pouring their heart out about some problem? You're communicating, I don't know. They know I'm a Christian, but I have no, never mentioned Jesus. What are we communicating when we don't even mention Jesus? We're communicating that it's just kind of a thing I do. Not really something that my life's changed by. We're always communicating something. Sometimes we use words. What samples are you giving out in the Costco of your life? Never thought I would ask that question from the pulpit. But what samples are you giving out? Are you giving out samples of truth? The truth of Jesus? Or the same confusion that everybody else has? And if you care about people, you will want to help them. And if you care about people and you want to help them, and the gospel means everything to you, that's what you're going to want to give them. Some of you say, well, I'm scared. Well, good. That's good. Harness that fear to drive you headlong into dependence on God in prayer. I'd be scared to death if it depended on me like I used to think it did. I have one more passage I was going to look at. We're running out of time. I'll tell you what it is. If you have something to write on, you can look at it later because it's really good. And I'll read it to you. And I'll be quick. It's 1 Corinthians chapter 1. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, starting at verse 18. And I'll make this point quickly, but it's it's important. Paul says, For the word of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved it is the power of God. Actually, I'm just going to read that verse. For the word of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to those who are being saved it is the power of God. When we... 
explain the word of the cross or the gospel, there's only two reactions. First, they're going to think it's foolishness. And you're foolish too. Or it's going to be the power of God to salvation. So don't be afraid of looking foolish. Expect to. Because it sounds idiotic to people who Christ hasn't opened their eyes yet. It's either going to be foolishness, and that will be painful for us, or it will be the power of God to salvation. So don't be afraid to look foolish when sharing the truth of Jesus Christ. Expect to. Maybe the reason that we're afraid to share is because it's foolishness to us. And we're embarrassed of it. Paul says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. Maybe some of us are ashamed of the gospel. In which case, we need to take a long, hard look at our hearts. Are we really Christians? I harp on this a lot, but I know that our churches in America are full of non-Christians who think they are. If the gospel's foolishness to you, you need to take that seriously and think through. Have you really accepted it? Have you really believed? All right, I have one last story for you. This is recent. I was just marinating my brain in this stuff Monday. And I was getting so convicted. Because I've been busy here doing the preaching thing. But I have not been representing Christ out there. I just haven't. I'm confessing this to you. I never said that I was a perfect guy. I hope you all don't expect that. Tuesday I went to get my hair cut. You may have noticed cut very effectively. And I went to a girl that I've, we've, my wife and I have gone to for a while. And I was sitting there and she's cutting my hair and we're talking about all kinds of stuff. You know, inconsequential stuff. And I'm just burning within myself. Matt, you are an ambassador in this place for Christ. That's your role there. More important than even getting my hair cut in there, my role there is an ambassador for Christ. And I'm sitting there. I'm, I'm a pastor. I have been certified why can I not seem to work this in the conversation? And so I'm praying to myself while she's cutting more and more of my precious hair off. God, I don't know what to say. Just give me some words and show me an opportunity. And the craziest thing happened. He answered my prayer. He opened up. The conversation evolved. We started talking about her brother who she's concerned about. And how her, his mom wants him to go to church. But he hates it because he's trying to force him to. And I'm like, okay, this clearly, this, is, this must be my chance to jump in. And so we just start talking. And it's natural. And it's, and it's not weird and scary to her. I don't think. <laughs> maybe it was. And so I just told her. I told her, you know, well, maybe the reason why your son hates going to church is because he doesn't know Jesus. And everybody's harping on about church, but nobody's talking about Jesus. I said, church isn't appealing, but Jesus is appealing. So I just said, you know, here's what Jesus is about. You know, I don't know what your church is about. Jesus is about the fact that your brother is not going to be a good person even if he starts going to church. He's about the fact that he's offering life to your brother. Your brother's a sinner. Well, so am I. She's all worried because her brother drinks and goes to parties. I'm like, man, if you knew me, you'd be more worried about me. But Jesus saves us from all that. Your brother doesn't have to clean up his life and go to church so much as he has to understand who Jesus is and the gospel. And I even used the name Jesus in conversation. And I even used the word gospel in conversation. And it was not weird. And in her eyes, I could see 
that she was desperate for this. To her, it was not foolishness. I pray that one day, not the day I was standing there, but one day it will be the power of God to salvation for her. And it was simple, and it was stupid in a lot of ways, because even though I've been in seminary, I still have a hard time articulating on the spot about things. But that's okay. I can, I can trust that God's going to do something with that. Understand the gospel for yourself. Care about people around you. Don't just try to convert people. Just look, and you'll see, like this girl in, in the place where I get my haircut. She's hurting, and she needs help. Start to care about people. Pray for eyes to see opportunities and words to share. He will answer your prayer. No matter how much you're sitting here right now feeling like, but he's the preacher. Scott and, and Julia and Amy were with me a lot this weekend. They know that there's nothing special about me. Seriously. They laugh because we had a lot of fun, but they know that there's nothing special about me. We're all in the same boat. No matter how much you feel like it's going to be awkward or scary, I don't have the words to say. You will. Just pray for it and trust God. You will. So let's go to work this week.